The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Son of Her of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahizamak of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. And they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and would like to go to Children's Church, please join the volunteers by the Kids Zone sign. If it's your child's first time attending Children's Church, please go with them to get them checked in. Good morning. There we go. (laughs) Uh, My name is Mark, and I have still not figured out how to introduce myself. Um, I will be on staff here in June for now. I'm just here teaching high school. Uh, Really two wonderful things that I love. Um, I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of work. Some of you just hear that word work, and you tense up thinking about this next week, and I'm sorry. (laughs) It's supposed to be a day of rest. Uh, Some of you are longing for more fulfilling, more meaningful work. Some of you just want a job. Um, You don't really care what it is. You just want something. And I'm guessing that to one degree or another, all of us tend to kind of put different jobs in different categories. Like this one has a lot of meaning and value, this kind of job. This job just barely has any at all. Um, Some of you think... You know, this is good work, this is meaningful, this is just like a stepping stone kind of job. I'm just kind of waiting around to get to the next real one. Um, Some of you have turned down work because you feel like it's kind of beneath you. Uh, For some of you, retirement isn't quite what you expected it to be. And as a culture, we tend to ascribe value to people based on what their profession is. Is that fair to say? 
Dorothy Sayers, she was a British author, and she was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, and they became good buddies. Um, and the more of her I read, the more I love. So if you're looking for anything good to read, just go buy anything by Dorothy Sayers. Uh, she wrote an essay with the title, Why Work? And it's this fantastic essay on the Christian view of work, and you can get it online. Um, but in it, she makes the point, and this was written 70 years ago, and it was true then, and it's infinitely more true today. She says, we're, we're basically killing ourselves with our jobs because we don't have a biblical view of work, right, and calling. She says that the modern view of work, as opposed to the biblical view, is that work is what you do for a living, right? You work in order to make money so you can buy and do the things that you really want to do. But the biblical view of work, she says, is she says work is the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. I'm going to say that again because it's so good. Work is the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. In other words, work is our using our God-given creative energy, our God-given desire to create for the benefit of others, right? Work is for the benefit of the community, not just ourselves. And here's what I want to pitch at you this morning, that in, until you grasp the biblical view of work, uh, you are in danger of your job just crushing you, right? Uh, and until you understand what work in, was intended to be by God, you'll either think way too much or way too little of your job or your calling, and the consequences could be a disaster. So with that cheery introduction, let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that any time we read any of it, we come away with knowing more about who you are and who we are. Would you speak to us? Would you tenderize our hearts? Help us to hear what you would have us here this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is not going to be an exhaustive look at what the Bible says about work. I wish we had like two months to talk about this. Right before the sermon, uh, Sammy told me this is like her favorite passage in the whole Bible, so no pressure at all. So I hope this is enough to just kind of get the juices flowing to help us think and dwell on what God meant work to be. Um, just because this is a really important topic. I mean, just think about how much time you spend at work, right? You're in the office, you're working from home or a coffee shop. You're at home with the kids, you're in school. A lot of your, your waking hours are spent working, uh, which also means that the bulk of your spiritual formation, right, your growth as a follower of Jesus is going to be spent in your job. It might be a scary thought to some, right, that you're going to grow in grace and patience and kindness and love, not necessarily in your quiet times when you have control of everything, but when you butt up against a coworker or when your kids are driving you insane. Uh, we've been going through the book of Exodus for a while now, and we've seen God do incredible things. He has freed his people from 400 years of slavery. He's brought plagues. He's part of the Red Sea. He's gave them food and water every single day in the desert. He's given them the Ten Commandments. He has promised to be their God, and they're going to be his people. And where we are in chapter 36, they start building the tabernacle which is where God says, you know, build this beautiful building, and that's going to be the place where I dwell. Uh, and next week, we're going to wrap up Exodus and actually talk about what the tabernacle is. So this morning, we're just going to dwell on work. What does the Bible say about work? What does the Bible have to say about how we use the gifts and ability that God has given us? What's our attitude towards work? Look back at verse 34. 
These guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, were introduced a few chapters back as these master craftsmen. Uh, and then verse 34 says that God inspired them to teach other people how to do all this work. And our passage says that God calls these people to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen or by a weaver. I mean, if nothing else, this passage should provide encouragement that God just delights in the arts, right? Uh, whether it's painting, writing, photography, music, videography, carpentry, the little leaf that the barista puts in your latte at the coffee shop. God loves art. God loves creativity. Now, think back to Genesis 1. It's the very first chapter in the Bible where it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Clearly, the point of that passage is that God created men and women in his image. Uh, and after God created the universe and Adam and Eve, Genesis 2 says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Here's what that means. God is a creator. God works. God creates men and women in his image. Therefore, men and women work. That's what we were created to do, right? You reflect God in your work. You have built in you this innate desire to work and accomplish to bring order where there was chaos, right? And not only, not only is it good to work, but you bear God's image well when you work well. For those of you who like fancy theological terms and impressing your friends over lunch, this is what's called a creation ordinance, right? It's something that God created at creation before sin entered the world and broke everything. Uh, so in a perfect sinless world where God and man dwelled together, there was work. Um, marriage is a creation ordinance, right? Adam and Eve were brought together to be one flesh. They were told to be fruitful and multiply, and that happened before sin entered the world. Uh, a Sabbath day of rest is a creation ordinance, right? Work is good, and rest from work is also good. Not only do you reflect God in your work, you reflect God when you rest. That's something I need to hear pretty often. Uh, if you're a lover of fine movies, odds are you've seen the Coen Brothers movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Anyone? Love that movie. And the soundtrack is incredible. Uh, there's one song I'd call it in the Big Rock Candy Mountains. It's a song from the 20s. It's goofy and catchy, uh, but it has an incredibly unbiblical view of work. And the more I listen to it, the more I think that it'd kind of be a terrible place to live. Uh, so let me read some of the lyrics. It says, in the Big Rock Candy Mountains, the jails are made of tin, and you can walk right out again as soon as you are in. There ain't no short-handled shovels, no axes, saws, or picks. I'm gonna stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the jerk that invented work in the Big Rock Candy Mountains. Now, what's wrong with this view of paradise? Aside from the fact that there seems to be no justice system, and you just walk in and out of the jail, and you hang whoever you don't like. Uh, but it says, I wanna sleep all day and hang the jerk who invented work. Well, who invented work? God did, God created work. Right? And as God told men and women to work before sin entered the world, before sin broke our relationship with God and our relationships with each other, work is good. Is that fair? So for us today, you having to work this next week, it's not a result of sin. It's not a punishment. We were made to work. Now work is going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating because of sin. But work itself is good. 
Maybe you hear that and you think, I don't know. Sounds kind of nice just to eat Cheetos and sleep all day on the couch and watch Netflix or play video games. Uh, and even if you're thinking that right now, shout out to my high school guys who are here, uh, you have experienced some, uh, this view of work kind of jives with video games. They, they've kind of honed in on this. They know that if they give you a goal and you achieve that goal and you get a prize or something else like that, you beat your buddies, you beat the boss, you, you get that sense of accomplishment from that work. Right? You and I were created to see a goal and work hard to achieve that goal. Right? And you, you typically get a prize. Even though it's not real, you still get that sense of, oh, I, I did something. I worked. Uh, you experience this when you do yard work. Right? It is immensely satisfying to mow a yard and you have those nice lines and you pull the weeds and you trim the bushes and the trees and you plant flowers. And at the end of the day, you're looking on your grass and those of you who have grass and you're sweating and you just think, man, that's a, that's a good job. I brought order to chaos right here. Uh, the folks who help with music up here and videos in the back, we used to have to set up everything every Sunday morning when we were still renting out the place, and it was terrible. It was like, and you see all these cables that got to be right in the right place, all the volume levels had to be good, all the microphones, the tech wizards have to get all this stuff up for live stream. It was awful. Uh, but once it's all said and done, it's a beautiful thing when everything sounds good and the live stream's working. And these guys are just really fun to hang out with, so it's, it makes it more fun. Uh, some of you are teachers, or you've been teachers in the past, uh, and not everyone's going to get your teaching, right? Not everyone's going to respond to it. But when they do, w- when you take someone from point A and you get them to point B and they understand it, it's beautiful. And you can do that with students or your kids or with a friend that you're helping study in school. Uh, you experience the beauty of work when you clean out your car, and you wash the dishes, Right? Uh, after solving a problem at work that took hours, maybe days to figure out, that's good work. Work is good. We mirror God when we work. And all work is intrinsically good. You know, aside from something like human trafficking or pornography that's just intrinsically evil, work is good. Uh, and even though we put different kinds of work in different categories and we say, you know, this work is really important, it's prestigious, it should make a lot of money, Uh, This work just barely mirrors our God-given desire to work. The Bible doesn't do that, right? Uh, It doesn't give more weight to a certain type of work over another. Uh, Do you remember what Paul did as his job as he was going around preaching the gospel? He he was a tent maker. He made tents. He basically worked for REI, right? Uh, There's a lady named Lydia in Acts 16. It just says that she sold purple fabrics, and then she opened up her house for all the apostles to hang out with. Uh, Jesus, he came from a a blue-collar family of carpenters. He's probably a carpenter for like 20 years before his public ministry started. Uh, This image of a shepherd is all throughout Scripture. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. When God created him, Adam and Eve, he called them to be farmers. There's Roman soldiers, they come to faith in Jesus, and they're never told to stop being soldiers. All work is good. This is a great story about Martin Luther which may not even be true, but it fits my point, so I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, he was a great uh, figure in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, and the story goes that a guy became a Christian, and he was just so excited. So he comes up to him says, Hey, Marty, I just became a Christian. How can I serve God? What do I need to do? And Martin Luther looks at him. He says, Well, what do you do now? And the guy says, Well, I'm a cobbler. I make shoes. Uh, and Martin Luther says, Well, you need to make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. That was his advice to this guy. He didn't say, well, you need to make a distinctly Christian shoe and put little crosses on it. 
come up with some like dad joke pun like soles or something like the sole of your shoe and your soul. <laughs> That's what I would do. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm lost with my puns now. Uh, but he basically just said, just keep doing the work you're doing and do it well and charge a fair price. Just do a good job, whatever your work may be. Right? And so what this means for us today, particularly if you're here and you kind of find yourself struggling, you're like, man, I, I kind of want to do something a little more spiritual, a little more meaningful. A biblical theology of work says that the janitor's work is just as much value as the doctor's work. And really, I mean, a hospital wouldn't work without a janitor making sure things are clean and sanitary. Right? Uh, that being a stay-at-home mom or dad has just as much value as running a nonprofit. The realtor, the construction worker, the person in HR, the police officer, the one crunching numbers for a big company, you are all doing good work. And God says there's value in work, not because it makes a lot of money or because people think you are the kind of upper crust of society, but there's value in work because God values work. Whatever it is you may do, uh, so long as it's not intrinsically immoral, and as as far as I know, none of you do that, uh, your work is good. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, in the article I referenced earlier, she says that the only like distinctly Christian work is good work well done. Uh, and I hope some, that puts some of you at ease this morning. Uh, if you're maybe unhappy with your job or you wonder what good your job is doing, I'm not saying don't look for another job, but don't discount the work you're doing now as something that's just not good. It is. Providing for yourself, providing for your family, giving money to your community, that's a great way to love others. Right? Being a good employee who works hard, that is a great way to bear God's image. You can show people this distinctly Christian work ethic by doing whatever it is you do well, and with skill and determination and love. Uh, the same is true for those of you who are students, by the way. Right? If you're at Covenant or UTC or Chat State or high school, at this point in your lives, unless you've got a part-time job, your job is school. So do it well. Right? Don't rag on the teacher. Don't cut corners in your math class. Well, maybe math class. You can have perm- pastoral permission to just kind of pass math class. Uh, but be a good coworker. Be a good student. Don't speak ill of your fellow students or coworkers. Right? Don't get caught up in the workplace drama or the drama at school. Don't be how like I was in school. Right? I, I was starting to, when I was, especially in college, thinking, well, I think I feel like I'm called to the ministry, so I'm going to do that. that. That's really the only good kind of work there is to go be a missionary somewhere else, or a pastor, or like run a Christian camp. You know, I'd see my friends wanting to go be doctors and start their own companies. They're going to be in college for like, or school for like seven more years. I think, okay, you do that, make a bunch of money, sell out to the man. I'll just be over here building the kingdom of God all by myself. (laughs) That way of viewing work is extremely unbiblical, and I've since repented. Uh, So work is good, and something we're all well aware of, work is broken. Work is good. God created it before sin entered the world. But after the fall, after Adam and Eve rebelled and went their own way instead of God's, uh, work became broken, right? In addition to death and pain and frustration in our relationships, work is broken. Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned and God confronts them, this is what God says to Adam. And remember, he's talking to a farmer here. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Notice God did not say, well, now that you sinned, I'm going to give you a bunch of work. The work was already there, right? The results are the same. It's just it's going to be really hard work now. In pain, you shall eat the ground. There's going to be thorns and thistles. You're going to have to sweat to get your food. Work is broken, but that doesn't make it any less good. We start to see how with this theology of work, how it doesn't make sense for us to find our identity in our work as tempting as that is. You know, when you meet some, someone for the first time, especially when two guys meet, what's like the first or second question that's going to be asked? What do you do? What do you do for a living? And I always ask that question too, so I can't really rag on it. But is that, is that all we are, is just people who work? Right? Are, 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 we, are you somehow less the person you used to be if you have to change jobs or if you lose your job? What if you get hurt and you can't do the thing you really were good at before? Where does your value and your worth come from then if you can't work? Uh, two things that happen if we buy into this lie that your work defines you. One, you'll always be busy, right? You will think that your work defines you. You'll feel like you're wasting time if you're not working. Or even worse, you'll get angry at people who slow you down. Or you'll get angry with people who say, hey, maybe we could do this differently, not, not exactly the way you're doing it. You'll view that as a personal attack as opposed to constructive criticism. Uh, are you at odds with people in your work or in your school because you think that they're holding you back from your work, from accomplishing something? You know, even though we all hate how busy we are, there's a part of us that kind of likes it, isn't there? Because at least we're accomplishing something. At least we're not being lazy and we're wasting our lives. Even if we're working ourselves to death, at least we're, we're doing something. Uh, so you'll always be busy. And number two, you won't be able to stop, right? You won't be able to rest. Something even God himself does, and he commands us to do, rest. Right? Put down your tools, put down your spreadsheet, put down your phone, turn off your brain from trying to figure out solutions to those problems. If your identity's in your work, you won't be able to rest from it. You think about Tom Brady. Uh, he has like seven Super Bowl rings, I think. Um, he, is, he will go down in history as like one of the best football players, even though people just love to make fun of him. Uh, but they give you a huge ring whenever you win the Super Bowl. And you, I'm sure a lot of you saw this interview. The guy was saying, hey, Tom, which is your favorite ring? Which I assume, like, which one did you think you worked hardest for? Which one are you proudest of? And you remember what Tom Brady says? He says, it's the next one. My favorite ring is the next one. That's always the best one. He couldn't enjoy seven Super Bowl wins because he's always thinking about the next thing that he had to do. If your identity is wrapped up in your work, you will not be able to rest. You'll always be afraid of losing your identity if you fail. And so you let your work consume you. Uh, Tom Brady, he's almost 50. I know he retired once and came back because he just couldn't let it go. And I think he's retired now technically, but if I were a betting man, I said he's probably gonna come back again for next season. And so the question I want you to ask yourself is, do you ever stop? Do you ever rest? Do you say, you know, for the Christian, this day, the Sabbath, this is the day I rest and I gather with other believers and we worship and I don't think about work. I tinker with a hobby, I play, I go outside and enjoy the sunshine. Do you ever stop? 
And if you're here this morning and you don't know what you believe, do you ever stop, if for no other reason than to remind yourself that you are not what you do? You're not your job. So work is good. Work is broken. And thankfully, as always, there's good news uh, because work is redeemed in Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament comes from Matthew chapter 11. In verse 28, this is what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we need to stew on that for a minute because that is utterly different than any other worldview and any other religion, any other source of comfort that we could possibly look to. This is different because Jesus doesn't say, as all the other ones do, hey, come to me and I'll give you a to-do list. And as soon as you mark all those things off, come back and we'll look it over and we'll see how you did. He doesn't say, here are the rules. And if you do them perfectly or as close as you possibly can, we'll see it. We'll see how good you are. We'll see if we can make you right with God. Right? What does Jesus say? <laughs> he says, come to me. Are you working? Are you exhausted? Are you heavy laden? Are you frustrated? Come to me and I'll give you rest. Rest from your labor, rest for your soul. You know what every other religion and every other worldview says? If you want to be right with God, you got to be good enough. You got to work hard enough. You got to put in the hours. You got to do a good enough job, and maybe God will be okay with that. And maybe you'll kind of balance the scales, right? Maybe your good stuff will outweigh the bad, and God will look on that kindly. The message you and I are constantly told is that in order to have worth and value, you've got to work harder than anybody else. You've got to put yourself above them. You've got to stand out. You've got to make the hard choices, right? Put your career above everything else. Make a name for yourself. You've got to be known by your work and your accomplishments. And then there's Jesus, who certainly calls us to be holy. He certainly calls us to obey his commandments. But ultimately, and before anything you and I do, Uh, in order to find salvation and forgiveness and the hope of an eternity spent with God and a world without sin, the invitation is for you to come to Jesus and find rest. And so I think the question you have to ask is, well, how can Jesus offer that? If work is broken, if this world is broken, our hearts are broken because of what we've done and what we continue to do, doesn't it follow that something has to be done in order to fix things? Yes, it does. And you've got two options. You can either, one, live a perfect life, never going against God in thought, word, or deed. You also have to be born without sin somehow. So in other words, you you have to achieve this perfect life, perfect obedience. Or you can receive it. It can be given to you, this perfect standing before God. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus calls us to rest in him because he has already done the work for us. Amen? Jesus' entire time on earth was one spent in perfect obedience to the Father. And as he stood in our place on the cross, bearing the full weight of God's wrath and anger for sin, what did he cry out? It's it's finished. It's done. Jesus has done it for you, and he freely offers to give you his perfect record if you find rest in him. Acknowledge your need for Jesus, your need for his perfect life and death and resurrection. And Jesus promises nothing less than if you put your trust in who he is and what he has done, then you're a new creation. He says the old you has passed away and there's a new you who has come. Uh, Let me end with a quote from Charles Spurgeon I heard a while back. This is so good. He says that you stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God 
as if he were you. Meaning that on the cross, Jesus took the penalty for all of your works. All, every thought, word, and deed that went against God, they were credited to Jesus' account. And yet, if you are in Christ by faith, the promise is that you are now seen by the Father as if you had done all the works of Jesus. Right? In Christ, you have the status of a perfect, beloved son or daughter because of the work that Jesus has done on your behalf. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that even though you are perfect and holy and you demand perfection, uh, you know we can't do it. And we long for a world where there is no sin, there's no brokenness, uh, but we do not belong in that world on our own merit and by our own choices. So we thank you so much for Jesus doing what we couldn't do, obeying every law, never once failing you, and then giving it all up on the cross for us. We thank you that he lived for us and he died for us and he rose again for us. Lord, you help us to live out the rest of our lives uh, with this view of work, that work is good, but we are not identified by our work. It doesn't put us above anybody else how well we do or how poorly we do. Help us to work for you and for the benefit of others. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This view of work, that work is good, but we are not identified by our work. It doesn't put us above anybody else how well we do or how poorly we do. Help us to work for you and for the benefit of others. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.